for them. Well, we're going to continue our series Reset, hitting that reset button and saying, okay, it's time to reset the way I think. It's time to reset the way I'm living my life. It's time to reset what I'm doing spiritually in my life because we know that all of our thoughts and our actions and everything stems from our spirit. And so we got to reset that spirit sometimes. We're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. I know some people have given up food uh, or or food for a period of time during the day and spent that time in prayer. Some people have given up uh, TV or TV shows, and they're just taking that time and spending it in prayer and scripture reading. And we're going through to Mark chapter 4. Jesus gives us the parable of the sower. In fact, in your Bible, it probably even says parable of the sower. But we're kind of flipping that on its head a little bit, and we're looking at the soil itself and asking ourselves for 21 days, how's the soil of my heart? How's the soil of my heart? Right? Because our heart, King Solomon says, out of, out of the heart flows the issues of life. How you handle the issues of life depends on where your heart's at. You know, people whose heart's not in the right place, they lash out at their spouse, they lash out at their kids, they lash out at their boss, they, they drank their worries away, they drank their sorrows away because maybe that's what dad did or maybe they didn't have a dad and so that's just what their friends did and so they drank their sorrows away or they do whatever and you know their heart isn't good soil because it drives them to do all these unhealthy things, right? So we have to examine our heart. So this is 21 days of examining our heart and our relationship with God. Where are we at? What are we doing? In Mark chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, we get to the next type of soil. Mark chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and it says this. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It's talking about the seed. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now, in classical fashion, Jesus is telling a parable. Why does Jesus tell parables? We covered this last week. He tells parables because he wants us to use our brain and to think how it applies to our spiritual life. But the disciples come to him and say, okay, we, we, we don't understand your parable. So Jesus actually explains this. And so he explains the shallow soil and the rocky soil. And he explains it over in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He tells his disciples, others... Like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. He says there are people who receive Jesus. They receive the word of God. They're excited about it. They're in church all the time and they're ready to go. But the minute pressure comes or they get in trouble or there's a difficult situation, I don't have time for church. I don't have time to read my Bible. I've got to deal with this. It's pressure from outside the world to say, you know, you really don't have time to be a Christian. You can't really be a Christian, can you? And so as their coworkers or their boss or their friends start to say, you really don't believe that, do you? And the pressure starts to mount. Jesus says they're all excited at first. But then their faith begins to die. They begin to step away from their faith. They begin to step back from their faith because the pressure mounts. The pressure begins to mount. And I don't know about you, but in our society, I've kind of noticed this trend. It used to be 80, you know, 80 years ago, I was telling uh, the band, some of the band this before church. I said, you know, 80 years ago, 
when Peter Drucker came to the United States and, and moved to New York, Peter Drucker is kind of the father of modern business, and he went to get a loan. And he was trying to get a loan, and in the process of getting a loan, the loan officer at the bank says, uh, well, where do you go to church? Peter Drucker, being from England, he says, I, I don't go to church. He goes, oh, well, what, what synagogue or temple do you go to? He goes, I don't go to synagogue or temple. He goes, well, how do you, how do you I can't give you the loan. And Peter Drucker says, what does my religion and my attendance in church have to do with you as a bank giving me a loan? And the loan officer said, if you're not in church, how do I know that you have any sense of morality and will pay this loan back? And it blew Peter Drucker away because he realized that the bank, the lending institution, saw that if I'm in church on a regular basis, I'm at least hearing what I should be doing and how I should be acting as opposed to not attending and setting my own set of values and my own set of rules. You see, 80 years ago, the social norm and the social pressure was go to church. But now in society, churchgoers are seen as narrow-minded, out of touch. Maybe you believe in hocus-pocus magic, and you're just kind of a flake, and so if you would just stay over there. In fact, it has gone so far that now it's even turning that those who go to church are actually seen as a detriment to society. You're a weight on society because you're narrow-minded and judgmental and everything that they think we are, but we're really not. And so society in 80 years has shifted, and it's going to continue to shift. And I believe it's probably going to shift back to the point where it was during the Roman Empire, when Christians, they, they just want us out of society. They want us out of the culture. It's, it's pressure. It's a part of the world we live in. Last year, we went on vacation, and we were driving home, and we were coming up through Kentucky, and um, we stopped off at the Cumberland Falls for a couple of days, and just to go see the Cumberland Falls and just kind of hang out, and I said, hey, on the map, it says there's a holla down here, and I want to drive to the holla, right? How many of you have been to a holla in Kentucky? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? So I, and my wife and my boys are like, it's probably not one of dad's better ideas. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to have fun. We're going to say that we've been to a holler in Kentucky. And I start driving, and the road goes from paved to a little bit of paved with no paint to gravel. I'm like, well, according to the map, we're still, we're still, we're going to, we're, we're almost there. And we're going through this place, and there are, I guess you'd call them houses. And I'm pretty sure that I started hearing dueling banjos. And it was, and suddenly Lynn goes, Ty, you need to turn the van around. This isn't a good place to be. I'm like, but we're almost there, right? We're almost there. And then it came from the back seat, Dad. I'm like, all right. I started getting pressure from the inside of the van to turn the van around because apparently living was important to them. I don't know. But they're like, turn the van around. This is clearly not safe, right? This is a place where we shouldn't be. In fact, 
couple years ago, we went, we went down, uh, some of us went down to Texas after the floods in Houston, after the hurricane, and there's a section down there on the Texas-Louisiana border that we were driving through in a 15-passenger van, and the church members that we were with who go to church down there said, this is all the further we're going. And we were in the bayous and the swamps, and they said, this is all the further we're going. And I was looking around, I'm like, I'm surprised we lasted this long in this area. Um, and people are coming out looking, walking, literally walking out of their houses looking at us like, what's a 15-passenger van doing in this area, neck of the woods? And they're like literally coming out of their houses staring at us when their kids are like, and they're like, we're not going any further. If we go any further, we're taking our life into our own hands, so we're going to turn around and go back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure we just already took our life in our own hands, but apparently not. You see, in life, we're going to feel pressure. There's going to be pressure. It might be pressure from the outside. It might be pressure from the inside. But there's going to be pressure if you're a Christian. There's going to be pressure because being a Christian in today's society is dangerous. Now, it's not as dangerous in the United States as it is in other places, but it's growing more dangerous to be a Christian in our society. And if you're keeping up with slides, forget it. I'm going completely off my notes. I'm done with my notes for the rest of the morning. So... What happens when the pressure rises as a Christian? What happens when the pressure gets so much that we can't stand it? Jesus says, basically, if you follow him, there's going to be two types of pressure. All right, there's going to be two types of pressure. He says in verse 17, he says, but since they have no root, he's talking about people that get excited about the gospel. They're on fire for Jesus, and it's all good until life hits. And life gets real. And they start to question their Christianity. They start to question Jesus. And in verse 17, he says this. He says, when trouble or persecution comes. Trouble or persecution. Trouble or persecution. Let's start with the word persecution. Because the word persecution literally means to be hunted. To hunt something. Now, I know that, you know, uh, in Indiana, there's this thing, right? We have this saying, like, who's your daddy? Right? Who's your daddy? I'll tell you, if you live in Indiana, I'll tell you who your daddy is. It's called the weather. The weather is your daddy, and the weather will do what it wants when it wants. From the moment you sneeze to the moment you blink, it's going to be 60, and then it's going to turn around and be minus 30, and you just, you just don't know, right? Especially this winter. But I have some hunters who are waiting for it to warm up, right? And when it warms up, what do you do? You go out and you track where the deer are. You start tracking. You start looking where the bedding is. You, you put up cameras, right? Technology allows you to cheat. Some people were telling me that, there's even new, on bass boats, there's even new sonar stuff that you can actually see. The, it actually looks like a video game, and you can actually see the fish and watch your, watch your bait go down right in front of the fish and tag it. It's actually gotten that. We cheat nowadays. That's called cheating. Actually, no, it's not. It's just very cool. And I'm just super jealous, that's all. Right? My son is super jealous. And so... What happens when you hunt something is you study it, you watch its moves, you, you investigate it, and you look at it, and you say, that's what I need to strike. 
And Jesus says that there are going to be those that will hunt Christians. There are people, and you know them because you're friends with them on social media, and they stalk you. And as soon as you post something about Jesus, they comment something opposite and negative because they can't handle your faith. So they put pressure on you, and they hunt you, and they stalk you. This is not immediate pressure. This is slow pressure. This is crockpot pressure, right? They slowly watch you. Are you going to keep your word? Are you going to do something that isn't what I think is Christian? Because as soon as you do, I'm going to badmouth you. I'm going to let everybody know. You see, Christian, being a Christian is not easy. Being a Jesus follower is not easy like we think it is because people watch us. They want to see if we're really real, if we really got what it takes. They want to know if we are who we say we are. But here's what I know about a crockpot. A crockpot with nothing in it, is a bad thing. But if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and you rely on the Holy Spirit, and the pressure comes, you produce something good. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, you got something good on the inside. Look at your neighbor and say, you got something good. Now look at the other neighbor and say, keep cooking. You got to keep cooking, honey. You have to keep going and keep pushing and keep striving and keep moving. Because inside of you is something good, right? You, some of you got a pot roast. Some of you got all kinds of mixed up stuff. Some of you just got pork in there with seasoning. It doesn't matter. And everybody's got something good on the inside that pressure can bring out. So Jesus says that there is going to be persecution. There's going to be slow mounting pressure against your faith. But then he says there's going to be trouble. Now, the word trouble is the Greek word philipsis. And the Greek word philipsis means pressure, but it's not hunted pressure. It's not gradual, growing pressure. In fact, philipsis is a term that they would use in Roman days if they didn't like you. One of the ways that they would torture you is that they would tie your hands and feet, lay you on the ground, rest a boulder, a boulder big enough to crush you right on the middle of your back and your organs, right there, they'd have it tied with a rope so you felt the pressure. They'd cut the rope and, not to be gross, but the boulder would crush you and you'd pop, right? You'd pop, boom, like a balloon. you just pop from the pressure. of the. It was immediate pressure, and it was over, Right? Somebody's phone's ringing up here. Anyway, see, now I have pressure. So the boulder would instantly, and this is philipsis. It's like, I don't know what just happened. I don't know where this came from, but boom, pressure. It's there. I'm not hunting you. I'm not stalking you. I'm not increasing the pressure. It's just suddenly there. Anybody had that? Right? Right? And all of a sudden, in that moment, whatever's really on the inside, not to be gross, it's coming out. And if it's, I don't know how to handle pressure, and so I turn to alcohol, guess what you're going to do? You're going to turn to alcohol. If it's, I don't know how to handle pressure, so I'm going to cuss somebody out, guess what you're going to do? You're going to cuss somebody out. If it's, I don't know how to handle pressure, so I'm going to go lay in my bed all day with the lights turned out, guess what? You're going to turn the lights out and go lay in bed. Right? Right? Like just this week, 
Just this week in a conversation with somebody, somebody comes up to me, this, this, person's, this person's on a stage at a very large church in our area and says, we all know that church XYZ is better than the river. Everybody knows that. And then walks off. And I'm going, did that just happen? Did this person who's on the stage leading worship at this huge church just look at me and go, we all know church XYZ is better than the river? Pressure. Pressure. And I'm going, okay, fight. Fight the flesh, right? Fight the part of me that wants to... And go on inside because you got a job to do. Pressure. And it just shows up. And you don't even know where it comes from. You're like, where the heck did that come from? But the enemy will use things to create pressure on you to see what's really on the inside. And he'll use people that you think are nice and friendly. And you'll be like, where did that come from? But if you're not full of the Holy Spirit on the inside, you might make a snarky comment. You might punch him in the mouth, right? You might get a lawyer and sue him for slander. You might do all sorts of things that Jesus would be like, what the heck are you doing? You ever have one of those what the heck moments with Jesus where Jesus is like, what the heck are you doing? I've provided for you. I loved you. I've given you everything you ever need. What are you worried about? What are you stressing? Why are you concerned? Right? Now, trouble, Philipsis, isn't a crock pot. It's a pressure cooker. You ever start a pressure cooker and put nothing in it? What's going to happen? Kaboom. Right? Boom. It's a pressure cooker. But guess what? If you've got something on the inside of you that matters and that is stronger, guess what you're going to produce? Something better. Something stronger than the pressure. You see, courage is just grace under pressure. Courage is just grace under pressure. Think about that for a minute. Courage is just grace under pressure. Courage is just saying, I can handle this. I got this because I know who's got me, and I just keep going, and I show grace to those that are putting pressure on me. I just show grace and love to those that are hating on me. That's courage, is grace under pressure. But you see, there's two forms of pressure. Pressure comes from two places. Pressure comes, first off, and a lot of times, pressure comes from the inside. Pressure comes from the inside. And sometimes this is the most difficult pressure because you know why? Often you're in charge of it. You're the one that keeps telling yourself that. You're the one that keeps thinking that. You're the one that takes a positive comment and twists it into a negative and put pressure on yourself. You're the one that keeps comparing yourself to everybody and everything else. You're the one. And nobody can stop that. That pressure will kill you. That pressure will destroy you. That pressure will cause you to stop chasing dreams and start living nightmares. That pressure is pressure that all of us in this room have experienced 
in some form, fashion, or another. In Mark chapter 4, in Mark chapter 4, you don't have this in the slides. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, it tells us that Jesus decides, get this, (laughs) Jesus decides that he's no longer going to hang out where he's at. He's going to get in the boat, and he's going to go across to the other side of the lake. Now, if you've been in church and you've heard this story, you know it. So I'm going to paraphrase it to bring it back to your remembrance. Or if you've not been in church, you may not know this story. But the Bible says that suddenly, out of nowhere, a philipsis moment, out of nowhere, a storm shows up on the lake. I believe, though I have no scripture to back this up, so it's strictly my opinion, so do not take this as uh, theological concrete. I believe the devil says, I've got Jesus at a place where I can kill him. I can drown him in the middle of the lake and storm comes up, right? Why is it that life's storms always seem to happen right in the middle? You're like, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, and boom. The enemy will let you start because he knows that you, most of the time, don't have the energy to get it started, so he's not worried about it. But it's when you start something, it's when you start chasing your dreams and going after your dreams, it's when you start chasing the thing that God has placed in your heart that you get in the middle of it, and Satan's like, I'll drown him now. Because now he's in the middle of it. And he's got stuff going on that he was never aware of. He's got stuff going on that he wasn't prepared for. Now I'm going to drown him and everybody else is going to wonder what happened. That stupid idiot got out in the middle of his dream and I drowned him. That's when the enemy strikes. He ain't worried about you starting because most of us don't have the energy to start anything anyway. Ouch. <laughs> it's when you start it, the enemy's like, oh, snap. They were serious. I better do something about this. You know it's true. You start something, you try to start a business, and you get started, you're like, okay, I'm going good, and all of a sudden, boom, right? You start chasing your dream, you start getting your degree, and all of a sudden, boom, stuff happens. But the enemy strikes when you're in the middle on the lake because he's like, I can drown him now. I can, I can do that. And here's what happens. If we're the boat and the storm comes, There's pressure from the outside. But to be sustained, right, there's pressure on the inside of us. You see, the pressure on the inside has to equal the pressure on the outside or you blow or you get crushed, one of the two. And here's what I know about pressure. When the storm hits What's the Bible say? The Bible says in this story that Jesus is asleep in the boat. Jesus is in the hind part of the boat, sleeping. Why? Because Jesus said, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Jesus like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to the other side. Satan's not going to drown me in the middle of this thing. I'm going to sleep. I need some sleep. So you guys just, you know, some of you are fishermen. Some of you on this, some of the 12 of you are fishermen. You've been out here on the sea. So, you know, I'm going to go sleep. You guys take care of it. I'm going to sleep. The problem is, is we're too much like the disciples. So when Jesus says you're going to accomplish this, do you know what happens when the storm comes? We go, ah! Where's Jesus in this? I don't know where Jesus is. He's gone. I'm left to fend for myself. I don't know what's going to happen. Honey, Jesus is asleep because he said we're going to the other side. He ain't worried about the lightning and the thunder and the waves that are crashing into the boat because he said, we're going to the other side. 
He never said there wouldn't be a storm. He said, other side. Right? We assume when Jesus says, go to the other side, we're going to have rainbows over the lake. The sun's going to shine. Right? And, and there's going to be unicorns tiptoeing on the water with dolphins flipping up. Right? It's going to be sparkly water. Jesus never said nothing about no unicorns or unicorns farting rainbows or nothing like that. Jesus said, go to the other side. He didn't say there wouldn't be any storms. And here's what I know. If I'm going to wake Jesus up like the story says, I have to be louder than the thunder. And so the inside pressure gets louder than the outside noise. And when the inside pressure and screaming and yelling inside the boat is louder than the pressure on the outside, now we're doing it to ourselves. And so they have to scream louder than the thunder. And I just picture them going over to Jesus, wake up! And if you read this story in the other Gospels, other than just Mark, if you read it in Matthew and Luke, they do all sorts of things. Now, in the Greek, one, tra- one, one writer, let's say Mark, I can't remember which one's which, one says, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? In another gospel, it says, master, don't you care if we drowned? In another gospel, in the Greek, it says, I don't know who the heck you are, but wake up. Pressure will cause you to lose your identity until you don't even know who Jesus is anymore and you can't even hear his voice and you can't even identify him. And people will say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. You got 12 dudes in a boat and they're all screaming, wake up. Some might scream master. Some might scream, I don't care who you are. Some might scream teacher. The point is this. That at some point, the internal pressure gets so bad, you're like, Jesus, I don't care who you say you are or what you can do. I just need you to wake up and get in here. Do something about this. And so the internal pressure becomes so great and so massive, I just picture in my mind Jesus, like, rubbing the sleeve out of his eyes. Like, what the? Like, Jesus doesn't even talk to them. You ever... You ever wake up mom and dad from asleep? You ever wake mom and mom and dad's mom and dad's asleep and they just they don't even address you. They're like they go to the kitchen, they get out some candy, they hand you the candy, and they go back to sleep because here, just shut up. I don't care that it's not dinner time. Just have a Twinkie and be quiet. I need to go back to sleep, right? I do that sometimes. Like the boys love it when I sleep and I'm sick, and they wake me up. I'll be like, yeah, whatever, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> go back to bed. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't say a word to them. He gets up, and literally in the Greek, he says, Shut up! And he goes and lays back down and sleeps. And they're like, did, did, Wait, did, did that just happen? Actually, on his way back to sleep, he goes, You have little faith. And goes back to sleep. He literally gets up, looks at the winds and waves. And in the Greek, he says, shut up. Tells nature to shut up and stop it. And goes back and sleeps. Think about that for a minute. And they're left going. Because when Jesus says go to the other side, guess what? You're going. You're going. The internal pressure. Pressure. 
that we place on ourselves, the internal pressure that we try to place on Jesus, come on, you got to do something, come on, you got to do something, only illuminates our lack of faith. It only illuminates our lack of faith. Nuclear energy, you realize that the nucleus of an atom has more pressure in it than the entire atmosphere of the earth. It is a trillion, trillion times more powerful and stronger than the pressure of the atmosphere on, on the planet, inside of an atom. And here's what I can tell you about the pressure. The pressure, you can either drop it like a bomb and destroy stuff, or you can take it and put it in a factory and generate cities. You decide how the pressure is going to make and shape you. You decide what the pressure is going to do to you. It will either cause you to explode or it will generate power for your life. How do you handle the pressure? In Matthew chapter 4, one more thing about that story. This is interesting. Mark records that when Jesus got in the boat and got to the other side, he says, when Jesus, he says, when Jesus got in the boat, there were other ships with him. Not one gospel, even Mark, ever records as those, those other ships survived the storm and got to the other shore. None. When you got Jesus on the inside, you'll survive the storm. When you don't have Jesus on the inside, you won't make it to the other shore. You'll get divorced. You cuss out your kids. You do all sorts of stupid stuff. You're like, why did I do that? It's because you ain't got Jesus in your boat. And you'll never make it to the other shore. The Bible never records those other boats getting to the other side of the shore, ever. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 23, we have a storm in a boat again. But this time, Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus told him, go ahead and go to the other side. I'll meet you over there. I've got to go up on the mountaintop and spend some time with my father and pray. I wonder how many of us will push the world aside and go up and pray with Jesus. That's what this 21 days is about. I'm pushing away the thing that I'm close to that I enjoy in this physical world. And I'm going up on the mountaintop and I'm going to spend some time with my father. And so Jesus says, go. And he goes up and he prays. And the storm comes up. And where's Jesus? Walking on the water to the boat. In fact, if you read it, it says they look out on the water and they see Jesus and they think it's a ghost. They think it's a ghost walking on the water, and they're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my God. You know, like, Davy Jones has come for us, right? They have this whole Captain Jack moment in the Sea of Galilee. Like, he is coming. And it says, the Bible literally says he was going to walk on by. Like, hey, guys, that was his plan. That's what the Bible says. He's just going to walk on by. Like, see, you guys, I'll just meet you on the other side. I don't really need your boat. I'm just going to keep going. But now all of a sudden, the pressure's, the pressure's not inside. The pressure is coming from the outside. And here's what I know about pressure. When it comes from the outside, you got to walk right through it. You got to walk right through it. Pressure from the inside, you got to decide how you're going to manage that and how you're going to handle that and if you're going to work it out with Jesus. Pressure on the outside, you just got to look at Jesus and say, can I walk out with you? Because that's exactly what Peter did. Peter said, can I, can I walk with you on the water? 
Can we just, can we just like have a kumbaya moment in the middle of the storm and the waves and the lightning? Can we just sing kumbaya right here and hold hands, Jesus, on top of the water? She's like, yeah, come on out. Everybody else in the boat, oh, no, you can't do that. Everybody else thought there was safety in the boat. Peter said, there's no safety here. Safety's, safety's out there. Safety's out away from this. You got to decide that when pressure arrives, so do I. When pressure arrives, so do I. Because in the middle of the world's pressure, Jesus is there calling to me. My son has a shirt that he got from football camp. And on the back of it, it says, when pressure arrives, so do I. When there's pressure, I step up to the plate. Why? Because I know the one who's calling me out in the middle of the storm. And I don't care what everybody else says. You don't think that they were screaming at him, get back in the boat, you nut job? What are you doing? Peter's like, no, I'm gonna, it's pressure. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk right towards Jesus, right through the middle of the pressure. Here's what I know about pressure from the outside, though. The beautiful thing of pressure on the outside is that it creates diamonds. Coal that you use to cook your steaks with is actually just a cheap diamond. It's just a junky ghetto diamond, and you use it to make steaks. But with the right pressure from the outside, it becomes a diamond. So what you got to do is figure out how to make pressure. Go buy yourself a bag of Kingsford coal, bring it home, and you'd be a rich person. Right? I'm serious. Where does diamonds come from coal? And enough pressure from the outside will not destroy the coal. It will make it a diamond. Some of us want to be diamonds, but we don't want to handle the pressure. We'd just rather be junky old coal. Well, I got my steak. You keep your steak. I'll take a few bags of diamonds. And then I have all the steak I want. You can't be a diamond unless you go through pressure. Some of us are, oh, God's been so good to me. God's been so wonderful. Isn't God good? You ain't, fa- you ain't faced an ounce of persecution or been made fun of or had to fight through nothing. Don't talk to me about how God good God is if you hadn't had to go through something bad to realize that he's good. Uh, you should have said amen on that. You have to go through the junk to get the right stuff. Jesus said, you follow me, there's pressure, there's trouble, and there's persecution. Just be ready. I was talking to somebody the other day who had given their life to Christ and has started to really try to walk this walk. He goes, I have never faced so much trouble in all my life. Why? You're not from this planet anymore. The Bible says that. When you accept Jesus, you're, this is no longer your home. And everything around here will fight you. Everything will fight you. A car has internal pressure. It's what makes the pistons go up and down to send the car down the road. We want to go down the road, but we don't want to have any internal pressure to push us to go. You've got to have the internal pressure. 
You gotta say, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I want more of God. I want more of Him. I'm not satisfied. I want more of Jesus. And so I'm gonna listen to more podcasts and I'm gonna read my Bible more and I'm gonna pray more and I want more of God. You can't get down the road without any internal pressure. We wanna try to go down the road but not turn the key over and create pressure. You know the reason that most of us We'll never lead a company or lead an organization because the higher you go, the greater the pressure, and most of us don't want to deal with it. Most of us would rather cluck around with the chickens. Most of us would rather just peck off the dirt. But the people that soar understand pressure. Oh, chickens, they get off the ground every once in a while, but they can't soar. Only an eagle can handle the pressure of that height. You look at people... Here's the beautiful thing about people in high places that have character. They can handle pressure. They can handle it. I have seen, trust me, I have seen people in high places literally chew one another out, argue with each other, cuss at each other, and when it's over, say, where are we going to dinner? Oh, what? We just spent an We just spent... Two hours negotiating this contract, arguing over verbiage, and you want to just be like, yeah, so where are we going to dinner at? Most chickens would never leave that room because they can't handle the pressure. Eagles say, all right, we got that job done. All right, let's go hang out and have some dinner. Because the higher you get, the more pressure. The closer you draw to God, the more pressure. New level, new devil. It's just the way it works. But God says that I'm with you in the boat. And if you look back in the boat and see me sleeping, take a nap. If you see me walking on the water, step out. We got to step out. We got to sleep. We got to relax. We got to rest. Some of you know too well about pressure. All right, I'm going back to my notes. Some of you know too well about, my, about pressure. You know why? Because you had a good mama that chased you around the house with a wooden spoon and beat your butt when you did something you shouldn't. You're like, oh, snap. Mom just grabbed a spoon. And you thought you were fast until mom decided to run. Right? And suddenly, like, her arm grew by three feet. Any good mom understands pressure. She puts pressure on you to get your homework done. She would rather fight you now to get your homework done. She'd rather fight you now to get you prepared for the world than try to fight you to get out of the house when you're 40 years old. The fight's coming. You either fight it now when they're 10 or you fight it when they're 40. The fight's coming. And mama knows that it's better to put pressure on you now than try to put pressure on you then. Right, moms? Okay. Just checking. So how do I maintain the pressure in closing, all right? We're going to wrap this up. How do I maintain the pressure? How do I survive under the pressure? You survive the pressure with joy. With joy. You say, how do I have joy in the pressure? How do I have joy in persecution and trouble? Well, it's real easy. If you think of joy... As an acronym, Jesus, others, and then yourself. Jesus first. Honey, you get out of bed, you better get your Jesus on. You better put Jesus on before you put your 
normal day clothes on. You need to put Jesus on before you turn the radio on. You need to put Jesus on before anything. You get your Jesus on. You spend some time with Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus first, Jesus first in every situation. Jesus first in the business, Jesus first in the relationships, Jesus first over the kids, Jesus first in everything. Jesus first. Others. Others next. Others come next. Others come next. And then finally, yourself. Take care of yourself. Right? Not just physically, but take care of yourself emotionally. Listen, if you need a mental day, then take a day off work. Say, look, I'm not going to be any good to you if I keep going. I need to take a day off, and I'm just going to take today off as a mental day. That doesn't make you a wussy. That makes you a person who's wise and understands themselves and knows how much they can handle and say, I need a break right now. Time out. Makes a coach wise, right? He starts to lose. Yeah, I'm up by 20. All of a sudden, they're only down by 10. They're only down by se- Time out. Stop. We've got to stop this madness. We've got to regroup. Right? you got to take care of yourself. Jesus, and let me tell you something. If you're putting Jesus first, you are taking care of yourself. You are taking care of your marriage. You see, too many times we go to church and we want the church to talk about our felt needs. I'm struggling with anxiety. I want the church to talk about anxiety. I want the church to talk about marriage because I'm struggling in my marriage. I want church. Do you realize that the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful? You think that the church is supposed to help you with all this surface stuff like your marriage and your parenting. Church is designed to get you connected to Jesus. When you get connected to Jesus, the marriage and the relationships will start taking care of themselves. There's something deeper than your felt needs. It's called your spirit. And when you start taking care of your spirit, the other stuff will start working its way out. And so when you meet with Jesus, you're taking care of yourself. You're actually taking care of others because now you're better prepared to take care of others. There's a story. I'm going to close with this story. Lou Holtz. Some of you are too young to know who Lou Holtz is. Others of you know full well who Lou Holtz is. He was coached for, coached for years for Notre Dame, and then he went on to South Carolina. But before he was at Notre Dame, he coached at the University of Arkansas. And while he was at the University of Arkansas, he, he, got, he got directions to this uh, tight end that he was trying to find in, in, in Arkansas. Now, if you know anything about Arkansas, you know, you hear me talking about Kentucky, okay, well, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the University of Arkansas, they still have Mule Day. Like, this is how backwoods it is. They still have Mule Day and celebrate mules, right? And back in that day, people were still plowing with mules. And so Lou Holtz is driving around. He's, he's looking for this tight end. He's looking for this D1 tight end in Arkansas. And he's out in the woods. And as he's looking down at the paper, and this is before cell phones. This is before everything else. And he's at Arkansas. And he's looking down at the paper the road turns, he doesn't. His car goes into the ditch. He's like, oh, no. I'm in the middle of nowhere in the backwoods of Arkansas. This is not good. Well, he looks up, and off in the distance, he sees a farmer, typical farmer, overalls, one's unbuttoned, you know, chewing on a straw. And he walks up, and he goes, hey. Lou walks up to him. He says, hey, can I, can I use your phone? I need to use your phone. He goes, I don't have no phone. Lou's like, okay. Like, now Lou's worried. This guy looks a little sketchy, doesn't have a phone. But the guy says, I tell you what I will do. I'll hook my mule up to your car and I'll pull it out of the ditch. 
Lou's like, no, I need tow truck. I appreciate it, but I need tow truck. He goes, no, no, no. And so after literally, Lou says almost about 20 minutes of arguing with this guy, he just says, okay. And so the guy hooks up the mule. He gets out these big chains, and he hooks up the chains to the car. And he, he whacks, true story, he whacks the mule, and he says, come on, Bob. Boom, again. Come on, Jim. Boom. Come on, Paul. Wax the mule again. Boom. Come on, Dusty. Finally, that mule just starts to chug. Starts pulling and pulling and pulling. Pulls that car right out of the ditch. Loose standing there like. Takes the chains off the mule. He goes, well, you have a good day, coach. Knew who. And Lou said, oh, wait a minute. You called that mule four different names. How's come when you said Dusty the mule took off? He said, well, the mule's blind. If he thinks he's the only one pulling, he won't pull. You don't understand something. You're not pulling by yourself. You have a whole group of people with you in your pressure. When society puts pressure on you, they're pulling with you. And you might feel blind. There's a whole group of people that are with you in your pressure. Let's stand up. As we go forward into this, let's just, let's keep Jesus first. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's not lose our joy in the midst of the pressure. We're just going to celebrate Jesus and what he's done. As we close out, if I can get Aaron and Lori to come up here, and if I can get Steve and Bonnie to to come down here. If you're here this morning, Maybe you've never accepted Jesus or maybe you've never fully decided I'm following Jesus and I'm taking it serious and I don't care about the pressure. I want to invite you to come up and know this, you're not going to be pulling by yourself. You have a whole family that loves you. A whole family that cares about you. If you're here this morning, you need prayer for anything. Maybe you're sick, maybe you have a loved one that's sick. We want to pray for them as well as we close out in song.